Amen. Before you take your seats, let's lift our hands in the air and just think about that word, amazing. Hallelujah. Is your God amazing? I mean, is He amazing? Is He amazing? How amazing is your God today? Just tell Him right now, Lord, you're amazing. You're the most important person in my life, Lord God. You are everything to me. And Lord Jesus, we've been talking about Savior, Healer, Baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Lord, we come here to talk about the coming King. Lord, we think you're amazing. We want to know you're amazing. We want to experience your amazing grace, Lord God. We come to you today, Father, to be worship in surrender to you, Lord God, because you are King of kings and you are Lord of lords. You're the King of our lives, Lord God, and we, we put you first place in this service today. Jesus, realign our lives on the coming of Jesus Christ. Realign your church at the coming of Jesus Christ. Father, give us a fresh revelation of your Lordship and your Kingship, Lord God. Lord, we reverence you today because you're amazing. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give Jesus praise here today. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Let's give it up for the worship team. They were fantastic today. Some excellent dance techniques on the, on the DVD as well, so you can practice them. Hallelujah. We want to see that kind of in the worship as well and uh, moving forward. Well, today we're going to be talking about the, the fourth um, in the series, it was supposed to be next week, but we've just reversed the series a little bit uh, because of people's availability. So today we're going to be talking about the soon coming king. And uh, next week we'll have Jonathan Miller will be talking about Jesus as the healer. But we're essentially talking about the four things that make up the full gospel. How many of you have been around the last couple of weeks and learning about this series? Uh, how many people have you been around? Yep, been learning about Jesus, Savior. And then last week you had Gabriel on the baptizer of the Holy Spirit. And uh, that, that was an amazing thing. I listened to a little bit of that online. And if you're just catching up with the series as well, you can go on kt.org, our website, and you can catch up on all the messages as well. And if you weren't here this morning, you can hear our senior minister's message as well on kt.org. So please do that. That's an available facility for you guys in the week. And you can play it on your laptop of your iPad. And you can just get the word in you right throughout the week as well. So today we're talking about Jesus, the coming King, the soon coming King. And I want you to turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 20, if you have a Bible today. And we're going to be talking about the soon coming King right throughout today as well. Well, our first thing, as we read through this series and we talk about the soon coming king, where did the church fathers get this title from, the soon coming king? Well, maybe many people in the New Testament, which we'll go through in a few minutes, believe that Jesus would come in their lifetime. That's how they were living as a Christian. How many people believe it today that Jesus is going to return? How many of you have that revelation? Because when I was a child, this, this doctrine was, it was taught all the time. In fact, so much so, it seemed every week week, the pastor was talking either about the rapture, the second coming, or, or the same thing. Uh, you know, and many of us as young children were thinking, my God, what happens if we are in sin, uh, left away from God, and Jesus comes at that moment? Many of you might be up to date on the latest films that are coming out. Uh, Nicolas Cage is uh, 
in the movie Left Behind, the new movie Left Behind. And you may have seen the latest movie a couple of years ago, Left Behind, a Christian edition. And then there was another movie that was Left Behind. And I think all of us as Christians, we watched that movie as children. And, and that's exactly what happened. Jesus returned and all the Christians suddenly left the planet. And as we watched that, and there was chaos in the whole world, a typical kind of Independence Day kind of film. And as a child, this is what we thought. We thought, my God, we better be ready for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And there is a certain fear that comes in your life. I remember praying every day and saying, God, you know what? Lord, before I sleep tonight, forgive my sins just in case Jesus returned at that moment. You know what? You know when you're in love with Jesus, we're talking about that song, Amazing. When you're in love with Jesus, when you're surrendered to Jesus, I believe you're looking forward to his return. Amen? I mean, nobody is looking forward to anybody's return who they don't love who they don't care about. I mean, if you had an argument with your husband or wife or your parents, you're not really looking forward to seeing them, are you? Because there's a distance there. So if you're not in love with Jesus, if there's a distance in your relationship with God, then you're not looking forward to his return. And that's why in Revelation, Jesus comes and visits the church and he says, listen, it's time for you to come back to your first love. So these three words I want to focus on in our introduction right now, the soon coming king. And I'm going to start off with the soon in Revelation chapter 20. Why do we believe that Jesus is coming soon? Because Jesus said it himself. He said it in Revelation 20 verse 7, Behold, I am coming quickly, or I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps my word of the prophecy of this book, the book of Revelation. And then in, in verse 12 he says, And behold, I am coming, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. So he's coming, he's coming quickly. And then he says a third time in Revelation chapter 20, he says, he who testifies, he who testifies to these things, surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. That word, come Lord Jesus, is the word Maranatha. And in the New Testament, this is what the church used to say, the word Maranatha, which means come Lord Jesus. Often it was finished after an epistle in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. You see that at the end of the verse, Paul says, come Lord Jesus. And often Christians would speak that to one another. And here it is again in a book of Revelation. Why? Because it's a revelation that the church had. They were longing for Jesus' return. Well, Jesus here, it was his last words in the Bible, and he says, I am coming quickly. So we know that Jesus is coming soon. Well, obviously, it's been 2,000 years, and sometimes we think, well, is God coming quickly? Well, the Bible says a day is a 1,000 years to God. Hallelujah. So sometimes quickly, I believe quickly for us today simply means we must be ready. Amen? We must live in the revelation that Jesus could return any moment, but we must live like we need to live our lives in worship to God like we do every day, spreading the good news of the gospel. Then secondly, Jesus as king. I believe if you believe in God to come back as the soon coming king, believing that Jesus is coming back as the soon coming king, you have to believe, number one, that he is a king. You have to believe that he is a king. That when he came the first time, he is a king. The Bible says in various, various verses, it says in John 1 verse 49, that when Jesus met with Nathaniel, Nathaniel responded, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. You're the king of the Jews. So something happened. It was a revelation to Nathaniel, and he followed Jesus from that moment when he recognized that Jesus was not only the son of God, but he was a king. 
And then the wise men. The wise men when Jesus was actually born a king. It wasn't something that people just said, well, you're a king. Well, he was born a king. Why was he born a king? He was part of the lineage of David. And David was a king. And we know that when, if you've seen on the TV, uh, the royals are having another baby. And uh, that baby, that child is in line to the throne. Well, George is in line to the throne. And then we've got other people like William. And, and if William's not around, we've got others as well. And why do people talk like that? Because they're of royal lineage. Amen? They're royal lineage. And Jesus is part of the royal lineage of David. So he was born a king. And the wise men were seeking him. And they said, we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Why? Because they came to believe that there was born in the city of David in Bethlehem, Christ the Lord, a king was being born. And we all know the story how Herod got rid of all the babies under two years old because he was insecure. And he thought, if there's going to be a king being born, then I need to get rid of that king straight away. This all happened there. It's recorded there in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, and you can see it later. But here in John's Gospel, chapter 19, you, chapter 18, you see that Jesus is face-to-face with Pilate, and they're having a conversation. And Jesus claims himself to be a king here. So let's read in John's Gospel, chapter 18, verse 28. Pilate said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, are you speaking for yourself about this? Or do others tell you concerning me? And Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. Now if Jesus is talking about that he has a kingdom, then surely he's implying that he's also a king. If my kingdom were not of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now my kingdom is not from here. And Pilate therefore said, are you a king then? There's the question, are you a king then? And Jesus answered, you rightly say that I am a king. You rightly say I'm a king, for this cause I was born, and for this cause I've come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Well, there we go. Jesus claimed himself to be a king. Jesus is the king. And not only that, but if you turn to the book of Revelations, chapter 15, uh, uh, verses 3 and 4, you'll see that Jesus is the king of the nations. Hallelujah. He is the king of the nations. And then Revelation 19, let's turn over there. Revelation 19 and verse 11. I like this because Revelation 19, I'm going to just read it. I saw in heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider was called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on the white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury, the wrath of the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Everybody say that together. King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Say it again. King of Kings. And Lord of Lords. So there we go. Jesus is the king. He's not only the king, but he's the king of kings. And he is the Lord of Lords. And he's coming back. Hallelujah. He's coming back. 
We also realize in the book of Acts that when Paul gave his life to the Lord, what was Paul's reaction to God? It wasn't just, Lord, you are my Savior. Now, thank God that Chris went through in the first week, Jesus as the Savior. And if you, you were there for that, you would have learned that. But it's not just enough to confess him as Savior. We need to also confess him as Lord, as our King. Hallelujah. Now, remember... What does that mean to us today? I remember when Pastor Colin was interviewing somebody for a certain job. And uh, many people are very reverent when they meet the senior minister. And you go to a job interview and you meet somebody, you're very reverent. And you may be quite nervous. um, But sometimes we see things in interviews that are a little exceptional. And this was a little exceptional for me. And I was there and... uh, Just some small talk. Do you want the job? This kind of thing. And then Colin said, well, let's just pray together. Shall we just pray together? And at that moment, the man just fell on his knees. He lifted his hands and he said, yeah, let's pray. And I thought, my God, what what is he doing? I thought, you know, a normal response would be to just sit down. But he fell on his knees and he lifted his hands because why? He he was reverencing Colin in in his nation, in his culture, but also he wanted the blessing. And, and there's that sense of reverence and respect, and it's that kind of action that we give the Lord Jesus, amen? It's that kind of reverence, respect, and Paul gave Jesus that respect as a king when he fell down and he said, who are you, Lord? Hallelujah. Who are you, Lord? This is the type of thing that we need to be believing right now. I said in the beginning, if we don't love Jesus today, how can we be expecting his return? What does this mean for us right now? There must be an abandonment and a surrender in our lives today as Christians if we're going to believe for the return of Jesus Christ. There must be that sense that Jesus, you are my king. You are my Lord. You're my God. I'm not satisfied to call you savior. And in Romans chapter 10, it says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart it was raised from the dead and you shall be saved. So it's about confessing that he's Lord. And the Bible says in Philippians 2, it says that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, Jesus also preached a message. What was that message? That message was a message of the kingdom. In Matthew 4, verse 17, he says, the message of the kingdom of God. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What what does that mean? When Jesus came the first time, he was bringing the kingdom of God. And what was he driving out? He was driving out every other kingdom. And he was driving out the works of the enemy. Hallelujah. The Bible says the reason the Son of God was made manifest is that he may destroy the works of the enemy. So Jesus was bringing in a new kingdom. And Jesus said that my kingdom is not of this world. He also said the kingdom of God is within you. What type of kingdom was this? It was a kingdom where you can be changed on the inside. Hallelujah. It wasn't an external kingdom. The Jews were looking for an external king. They were looking for a political leader. That's why they rejected Jesus. Jesus came as a humble king, a humble servant, and he was healing people, delivering people, giving people hope. Hallelujah. He was transforming lives. And he was saying, unless you believe in me, you cannot be saved unless you're born again. Unless the kingdom comes inside of you and you empty yourself of all the kingdoms of this world. That's what needs to happen to us today if we're not a Christian. We empty ourselves of this world and we receive the kingdom of God. I already said it earlier, Jesus was born a king. His purpose was to bring the kingdom. He says, for this cause I was born and for this cause I came into the world. I want to tell you today, if Jesus is not of this world and you're a Christian today, you're not of this world. Amen? I mean, you're in the world all the time and you can get used to the world 
And the world can come on you. And sometimes in the church, we're not hoping for, the, for Christ to return. Why? Because there's so much of the world in our lives. So much of the world in our lives and so much of the day-to-day running of this world that we're no longer hoping for Christ's return. We're not of this world. Jesus said, I pray, Lord, for those in the world. They're not of the world. But they're in the world, and I pray you'll strengthen that you'll be with them. We're a citizen of heaven. Hallelujah. So Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God. And then thirdly, the coming king. The coming king. He came the first time. We believe he came the first time. If we don't believe he came the first time, we cannot simply believe he's coming the second time. Because if we don't believe he came the first time, if we don't even believe that Jesus existed, how can we believe that he's going to return? He came the first time. He died on the cross as Savior. He rose again on the third day. He is our Lord and He is our God. And because we are in love with Him, we are looking forward to His return. Amen. Can I have a louder amen? Hallelujah. So the early church believed that Jesus was going to return in their lifetime. It was a revelation. Now when I've been preparing these, this uh, sermon today and going through all the different sermons and listening to all the different preachers and reading some books. I've just simply been praying that and realizing that this is a revelation. The return of Christ is a revelation. It's not something that you were taught when you were a child. It's not something I can just say to you that Jesus could return at any moment. It's something that needs to be revealed to you through the scriptures. Hallelujah. It's living in a revelation. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the revelation of God. Why, why will you change your life today? Why will you change your agenda? I mean, something needs to happen to you. There needs to be a wake-up call. And remember, R.T. Kendall came in, and this year he's been teaching about the midnight cry. And it's in Matthew's Gospel 25. You can read it later. And the simple message with the midnight cry was that the church needs to wake up. Hallelujah. It needs to wake up. And I remember listening to Bruce when he taught this uh, in 2013. And he was saying God was stirring him. God was waking him up. And God needs to wake us all up in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. And I believe if the church is going to be awakened, then all of us need to be awakened. Now Acts chapter 1 and verse 6 to 8. Let's turn there. This is essentially where we get the coming of Christ from. And this is where the early church would have got it from. This scripture here, as well as the disciples hearing from Jesus in Matthew's Gospel 24 and Matthew's Gospel 25. And there's many other passages that you can read. But here, this is the last time that the church or the disciples, they see Jesus. And here we are in verses 6 to 8. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, apparel, who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing into heaven? This same Jesus, who 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 was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Well, that's exactly what the church believed. Now the disciples were there, and Jesus was suddenly taken up. Now we were not there, but we can just you know, describe what happened there. It would be like, I'm not Jesus, but just as a figure of speech, I'm on, on this level. And you know, suddenly I start going up into the sky, and I go into the clouds, and I disappear. It's like I have went there to heaven. I've disappeared. I went into heaven. That's exactly what happened there to Jesus. He went up in the sky. He disappeared through the clouds, and then two angels appeared. 
and said, listen, this same Jesus that you saw go up into heaven, he is going to return exactly the same way. Well, this is what the church believed. This is what the second coming of Jesus is about, that we believe that he's going to come again on the clouds of heaven. He's going to come exactly the way that he went. He's going to come again. And this is what the early church believed. Well, Paul believed that. Let's turn over to 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. Paul is writing to the Thessalonians and he's encouraging them about the kingdom of God. In fact, if you look through the epistles, Paul often mentions the the coming of Christ. In fact, in the New Testament alone, and you'll realize this, there's an emphasis on the coming of Christ. And that's actually 318 different verses in the New Testament that refer to the coming of Jesus. Now that tells you straight away that the New Testament church, they had this doctrine online. They were thinking, my God, maybe Christ is going to come in our lifetime. Maybe Christ is going to come. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 13. For if we believe that Jesus died, that he's the Savior, and he rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. That we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel, and with a trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Well, this scripture, Paul is writing to the Thessalonians. Why? Because there's an emphasis on the second coming. Get ready for the second coming. The dead in Christ shall rise, and we who are here, we will also be caught up. Now, some people there would refer to that as the the rapture or the second coming. And the word in the Greek is harpazo, which means to seize or to snatch away. And when you look at What's going to happen is that the church, the Christians, those who believe in Jesus, will be snatched away. Another verse says like a thief in the night. Peter says it, like a thief in the night, you'll be snatched away. Like that Left Behind Me movie. Everybody will just suddenly vanish at the coming of the Lord. Those who believe in Jesus Christ. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ today, you can become a believer, hallelujah, by simply praying even now during this message and saying, Lord, I believe in you. So Paul's writing to the Thessalonians. And then they got a little confused in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And often we can be confused. And I want to encourage you. We don't have much time to go in detail regarding the second coming of the Lord in in this session. But I want to encourage you to get to grips with this doctrine. To get to grips with the understanding of what the Bible says. Because here in the Thessalonians, they were also getting confused. What was happening here, people were saying, hey, Jesus has already come. It's too late. You cannot be saved. Jesus has already returned. And many people were gossiping, saying, hey, he's already come. Well, we know from the scriptures that Jesus said, don't believe those people who say, here he is, or there he is, don't believe them. And here, Paul has to write to them again in 2 Thessalonians. So he's writing again. He's wrote the first time in 1 Thessalonians. He's writing again. He says in verse 2 of 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, Now, brethren, concern the coming of the Lord Jesus. And our gathering together, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had already come. 
Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, and the son of position, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, and that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Well, that's describing there the Antichrist. And John says also, he says, little children, it is the last hour. And as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know it is the last hour. He's encouraging the church, don't believe people who say that Christ is coming. He's there, he's over there. Listen, he hasn't come. There's some specific things that need to take place first before Christ comes. And in this specific verse, what was happening, people were just quitting their jobs. They were stopping life. Oh, what's the point in continuing? If Christ has come already, what's the point in life at all. Why? Because the coming of Jesus gives you, as a Christian, hope. It gives you hope, hallelujah, that one day we'll be taken out of this world of sin. We'll be taken out of this world and we'll be caught up and we'll be with the Lord forever, hallelujah. So here we go. We've got Paul, we've got Peter, we've got John, and we've also got James, James 5, verse 7 to 9. We've got these disciples of Jesus who believed in his second coming. They believed in his first coming, but they also were gripped with the belief that Jesus was going to return a second time. Hallelujah. And you can read other, other verses right throughout the New Testament. So what will be the coming of the Lord like? Well, I already said already, it will be like a thief in the night. 2 Peter 3, verse 10 to 13. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. I mean, that's exactly how I felt when I used to pray, God, forgive my sins, Lord. Forgive my sins, just in case you come right now. Because this is the verse that we were taught that at any moment, at any time, Jesus could come and will be whipped away. Well, there we go, Peter saying it, in which the heavens will pass away with great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Why? Because it will be immediate. It will be instant at the right time. Therefore, as a Christian, as leaders and as cell leaders and as a church that's desiring to see people saved, then we need to make sure that we get our life in order. Hallelujah. That we wake up and that we want that Jesus would return. You've heard Christians say, you know what? I don't want Jesus to return right now. Anybody heard that from people? I don't want Jesus to return right now because I want to get married. Anybody heard that? I, I, want, to, I want that new job. I want to, I want, I've got two kids, I want four kids. You know, thank God that you've got desires on the earth. But you know what? When you really love Jesus, those things don't come into play anymore. Amen? And maybe a bit of the silence right now is because maybe that's the way we are right now. That's the way we're feeling. We don't want Jesus to return because we want to fulfill what we have got for our lives. When we think like that, it's like Jesus is not Lord. It's like Jesus is not king. It's like we're not living in the revelation that he's king. Because we want some certain things from our lives. Oh, I don't want Jesus to return because my, the people in my family are not saved. and I don't understand and blah, blah, blah. Listen, if Jesus is Lord, he can look after your family. Hallelujah. He can look after other people. But what we need to be is we need to be caught up. I mean, we are literally going to be caught up in the air with Jesus. I mean, picture right now. Jesus is coming and we're about to be caught up with him. I mean, would there be a desire, a passion in your life? Would it be like, this is the greatest day in history? We sing that song, the greatest day in history. Death is beaten. He has won the victory, all that. I mean, would it be the greatest day? 
Because as a Christian, it should be the greatest day of our lives when the Messiah, our King, our Lord, He returns. Hallelujah. And we say, Lord, oh, this is the best day. That's a church that's looking forward to the return of Christ. This is what we're talking about when we're talking about the four square gospel. In the year 1900, when Amy Sempman McPherson was preaching Jesus Savior, Jesus Healer, Jesus Baptizer, Jesus Soon Coming King, this was the revelation that they were living in. Why? Because there was a generation in the church that were abandoning their lives and saying, I love Jesus more than anything else. Hallelujah. And I can't wait for his return. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24. What will it be like? Well, here again, you see that Jesus this time is talking. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, and also will the coming of the Son of Man be, For as in the days of the flood, they were eating and drinking, they were marrying and giving in marriage. Now there's nothing against marriage. He's not saying marriage is wrong. He's just saying that this is going on. Until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in in the field. One will be taken out and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. I mean, just even reading that verse today should send shivers down your spine. I mean, you're looking at it and saying, my God, the coming of Jesus will be quick. It'll be like the days of Noah. People were out there. They were getting on with their lives. Doesn't that just describe London today? Doesn't that describe London? People are getting on with their lives. Doesn't that describe me and you? And when when I'm looking at this verse, I'm looking at me. So straight away when I get down from this sermon today, what will be happening? Well, soon as I get down, I'll say hi to a few people, hopefully. And then I'll be straight into the next service. I've got another agenda. 5 p.m., 7 and after we finish the 7 p.m., I have another agenda. I've got work to do this week. And I'm not living in this revelation. The same will happen to you. You will look at this verse, and then as soon as you leave, you'll be thinking, my God, I have to go and visit my auntie. I have to go to work early in the morning at 6 a.m., so I have to get, I have to get an early night tonight. And then suddenly, you're working out your life. You're getting caught up with this world, and this is exactly what he's saying here. Be like the days of Noah. People were getting married. People had their agenda. They had parties to go to. They were having fun. And then suddenly the Son of Man will come. And there'll be one person in a field. Or one person in Westfield. And the other one will be taken away. And the other one will be left. This is exactly what's going to happen at the Son of Man. Jesus said it. So this takes us as a warning right now. And the warning is to watch. What does it mean to watch? It means to be in prayer. It means to be close with God. That's what prayer essentially is, being close with Jesus. And I believe that it won't, we won't be caught out, we'll be caught up if we are caught up with God right now. If we are caught up with God right now in our personal lives, we'll be a church that is ready. And then Jesus says in Matthew's Gospel 24, the faithful and the evil servant. Matthew 24, 45, if you're following, 45 to 50. Who then is a faithful and wise servant? whom his master will make ruler over his household. But the household there is is the church, is the people, is the responsibility that God has given to give them food in due season, the word 
Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. As surely I said to you, that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of the house will come on a day when he is not looking for him and in an hour that he is not aware of and will cut him in two and appoint his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's lots to say about this verse that Jesus put down, but it's this verse that I want us to focus on. They said... The evil servant said, my master is delaying his coming. So he began to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with the drunkards. So he started to act in a way that was contrary to the gospel. He was a Christian. There's two servants there. And suddenly he says, you know what? Jesus is delaying his coming. Therefore, I've got time to sin. I've got time to be lawless. I've got time to beat other people. I've got time to take over. I've got time to lead. There's people out there today who believe that Jesus is not going to return. There's people out there today that believe that Jesus is not coming soon. That he's delaying his coming. And they've decided that they're going to live the way they want to live. This is exactly what Jesus was meaning in this passage. People saying, I will delay my coming. I will delay my coming. That is sometimes the mentality of the church, people in the church. Not just KT, but the church nationally. People saying, hey, he's not coming tomorrow. Why? Because they're not living in the revelation. They're not living in the revelation of God. I've got some questions for you as we go through. There's four things I want to share with you today of getting ready for the Lord's return. Getting ready for the Lord's return. Number one, I want to ask you, are you ready for the coming of Jesus Christ? Are you ready? Madam, you're ready. Congratulations. God bless you. Are us all here today? Are we all ready? Are you living right? Are you living for Him? I asked that question to me. I asked that question to you. Are we living right? Are we in line with His will for our lives? I believe what happens when we are focused on the Lord's return? I've got four things as we finish today. What happens when we are focused on the Lord's return? What would happen to the church? What type of church would we be if we were focused that Jesus was coming? Now think about it right now. Jesus is coming in one month. Now that's not a prediction. This is an example. Think about it right now. Jesus is coming in one month. What are you going to do? How are you going to change? What people are you going to reach? What things will you change in your life? How will you restructure your life? Because that's how we should be living right now. Jesus is coming soon. He's coming tomorrow. We know that he's coming quickly. He said he's coming quickly. But we're not living in that revelation right now. Well, number one, I believe that those who are believing for the Lord's return are a praying people. Are a praying people. People who are connected with God. Why? Because when he says, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. He's talking about a church that is asleep in Ephesians. Chapter 5, verse 14. Then we heard already R.T. Kendall's midnight cry. And go on kt.org and get that sermon. Listen to that sermon. But essentially, he's talking about ten virgins and five didn't have oil. Five were not ready. And five had oil and they were ready. They were watching. They were waiting. They were ready. And when the bridegroom came, what happened? He took those five with him. 
and the other five were not able to go because they had to go off. They were distracted. What does that say? It's a praying people. People who are praying. People who are praying in the Spirit. People who are connected with God. Think about the times where you've been connected with God the most. And I was thinking about that when I was coming in. The time where I felt that I was connected with God the most was on a road in the middle of Mali in, North, in West Africa. And what was happening is we were praying for two hours because the journey was three hours. And as we begin to pray, the presence of God filled the car. And it was like God was giving us His compassion and His heart for broken people that He was about to visit. And we were praying, the King is about to come. The king is coming to these villages. The king of glory is visiting these villages. And there's going to be miracles and they're going to be healing. And as we begin to pray these prayers, the presence of God filled the car and tears filled my eyes. And I was asking myself the question, why did I feel that way? Because I was coming in line with God's heart. I was coming in line with God's agenda. I was caught up with Him on the road there to these villages. And because I was caught up with Him, I was expecting that He was going to come and He was going to visit these people. See, that's what happens when we're expecting the Lord's return. Secondly, we have a renewed conviction to live a holy life. We're expecting the Lord's return. We don't beat our servants. We don't live as a drunkard. We fix up our life. We say, my God, if Jesus is coming tomorrow, if Jesus is coming soon, then I need to fix my life up. Number three, recently we've been thinking about what's happening there in Iraq and in Syria. And many of you might have been moved and we've been praying about this as a church. And simply, there's one word that I would say that this is, it's simply persecution. Persecution, we're seeing serious persecution of Christians there in Iraq and in Syria. And we are moved by it. Many of us have raised money for it. Many of us have been stirred by it. There's persecution here in England where you're not even allowed to wear a cross or not allowed to preach the gospel at work. That's a different type of persecution. But I tell you, what happens when you're expecting the Lord's return is that you're not deterred by these things that are happening to you because you have hope in your heart. You have a hope that is greater than the external things that are happening on the outside. And Paul encourages the Christians in Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4. He encourages them in the most difficult times to hope of Christ's return. To say, hey, Christ is going to come. And he's going to take you out of this situation, this injustice, this trouble. And he's going to give you hope. Hallelujah. And then, number four, what happens to you when you're believing for Christ's return is that you have a new zeal for world evangelism. Hallelujah. I said you have a new zeal for world evangelism. Because in Matthew's gospel 24 verse 14, he says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. What does that mean? There's going to be a massive move of revival. And this is what George Jeffries and this is what Amos Semple of a person, when they were thinking about this doctrine and thinking about what the full gospel is, what's the most important things about the gospel? Jesus Savior, Jesus Healer, Jesus Baptized in the Holy Spirit, and Jesus is going to return. These were non-negotiable things. And they put the full gospel together. And why? Because they were into world evangelism. They probably believed so much, they were so caught up with God, they believed that Jesus was going to return in their lifetime. 
Because it's exactly what happens. When the Holy Spirit fills you and the Holy Spirit is stirring you, you get more passionate about Him and you start thinking, my God, I'm going to leave my life and I'm going to give my life for the saving of souls. Hallelujah. That's our desire in KT. Now, you might not be a missionary in the outbacks of Africa somewhere, but you're going to be a missionary in your world. Hallelujah. And a couple of Saturdays ago, we trained 68 people on launching evangelistic cells. Why? Because we believe there's going to be a move of evangelism and evangelists and people who are passionate about the things of God. So let's bow our heads in prayer right now as we finish today. Ask that the musicians return. I ask you those questions again today. Number one, are you ready for the coming of Jesus? Number two, are you living right? Are you living right? Are you ready? And are you living right? Well, as we finish today, I'm going to give any, anybody in this place today an opportunity where every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Maybe today you're in this place and you don't know Christ. We've got one more minute left of this service officially. In this minute, if Christ was to come right now, would you be caught up with Him or would you be left behind? Is there sin in your life? Are you not saved? We talked about Savior. We've talked about Healer. We talked about Baptizer. We're talking about these things. Are you saved? Are you forgiven? Do you know for certain that if Christ was to come, you'd go to heaven? You'd be with Him in glory. If you don't know, I want you to pray this prayer after me. And after this prayer, I'm going to ask you, if you prayed this prayer, listen, lift your hand because I'd like to pray with you. Say, Lord Jesus, I come to you right now and I ask you, to forgive me of my sins. I've listened to this sermon today and I know that I'm not following you. I know I'm in sin. I'm away from you. I know I don't know you. But if you're to return, I want to know you. Come into my life right now. Cleanse me. Fill me. Make me born again. Lord, I believe you died on the cross. I believe you're the king. I believe you rose again on the third day. And this day, I choose to follow you. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Amen. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you prayed that prayer and you need His forgiveness, I want to pray with you today. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to lift your hand right now because I'd like to pray with you. You need Him in your life right now. Lift your hand right now, right across this place today. You need Jesus in your life. You're saying, I, I want to become a Christian. I need His forgiveness. Lift your hand high right now in this place today. I want to pray with you. If you're in this place today and you need to rededicate your life to Christ, you say, my God, I'm not living right. I need to recommit my life to Him today. I want you to lift your hand right now because I'd like to pray with you in this place today. Lift it high. You know, when you lift that hand, you're not lifting it to me. You're lifting it to heaven. You're saying, hey, Lord, I'm sorting my life out today. I want you in my life. I commit my life to you in Jesus' name. Father God, we pray in Jesus' name that you prepare us in the week. We pray that we've just spent a few moments, Lord, talking about this doctrine, talking about the coming of Christ. Lord God, I pray for every one of us today. You'll make it real to us, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Let's give Jesus praise right now. Thank you, guys.